This week's episode of Enchanted Tiki Talk is brought to you by Kingdom Strollers. Kingdom Strollers provides premium stroller and crib rentals delivered straight to your Disney Orlando resort, hotel, or vacation home free of charge. You choose the time of delivery and pickup, and we do the rest. It couldn't be easier. Book your Kingdom Stroller rental today by visiting KingdomStrollers.com or call 407-271-5301. Vahidi Mekioni Mana, ladies and gentlemen, no flashbulbs, please. Our performers are temperamental and easily upset. Thank you for your cooperation. Oh, look at all the people. My goodness, you're all staring at us. We better start the show rolling. Wait, wait, we forgot to wake up the Glee Club. Hey, howdy, hey, and thank you for joining us here on Enchanted Tiki Talk. We're your hosts. I'm Sean. I'm Keith. And I'm Alan. So grab yourself a dole whip, pull up a chair, and enjoy the show. This is episode 94 for the week of August 9th, 2015. On this week's show, we are excited to talk with someone who started working for Disney when he was 12 years old. Originally hired to sell newspapers in Disneyland, and then handpicked by Walt himself to portray Tom Sawyer in the parks, this guest, he helped open Walt Disney World and Disneyland Paris. He was named a Disney legend in 2005. Please welcome the luckiest boy in the world, Tom Nabby. Tom, <laughs> welcome to the Tiki Hut. Oh, well... Thank you. You had a, a very interesting career, and we're really excited to talk to you. I know the, one of the reasons why we brought you on was from um, Jeff Einbach's book, Windows on Main Street book. Yeah. Oh, okay. Jeff's book, yes. Yeah, Jeff's. Yeah. So um, taking a look at that book, you you really piqued our interest in your, your career. I, I, I've heard about you. I knew I knew who you were be, by you know by the title is The Luckiest Boy in the World, but your career for Disney, just it's, it's fascinating. You started at such a young age, at 12 years old. So how did your love of Disney begin? Well, uh, I'm, I was born in Santa Barbara, California, and then we relocated to uh, Los Angeles. I was there through uh, basically halfway through the sixth grade and uh, had, a, had a paper route. And my mother decided that uh, she wanted to move to Anaheim where they were building Disneyland. So she went out and looked for a house and found a house on the GI Bill that uh, my stepfather had been in the Navy. So we moved into a, uh, a house in Anaheim about seven-tenths of a mile away from Disneyland. Unfortunately, in Anaheim, uh, I couldn't get a newspaper route because it, it was considered rural, and you had to have a driver's license and a car to have a paper route. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, uh, because it was very rural. There were still orange groves in Anaheim when we moved to Anaheim. So I was able to get a Sunday newspaper route. And uh, so uh, I developed about 20, 25 uh, people in the area uh, that I would deliver Sunday papers to. And I'd get another extra 20 or 25 papers, depending upon uh, what the newspaper guy had. And then when I would finish up my route, part of my route were two trailer parks off of Harbor Boulevard, uh, Harbor and Ball, right in that area. And then what I do is I'd ride over uh, the newly constructed uh, overpass on Harbor Harbor Boulevard and go to the uh, the Harbor Gate at Disneyland, and I would see news of the constrained home on Sunday morning. And uh, while I was doing that, I met a gentleman by the name of uh, uh, Ray Ahmet, 
his him and his brother had what they call the Castle News concession on Main Street at, at Disneyland. And he said, you know, after the park opens up, he's going to need newspaper boys. And if I show up uh, in the morning before the park opens, I can sell newspapers for him. And it was called the Disneyland News. So uh, that's... Uh, how I started as as a newspaper boy. Uh, used to watch Disneyland every Wednesday night on on uh, on TV, and you know Walt was telling about all the stuff that was going on, and and uh, I could ride my bicycle over to the top of that uh, overpass and actually look down and see the construction going on at uh, Disneyland. So sort of watched it grow uh, out of the dust. And, and orange groves and uh, everything looked pretty good until they uh, started putting in the berm and, and planning the landscape on it and then it started getting uh, uh, very restrictive on what you could see from the roadway. My, my mother was a uh, autographed hound and we used to go up to Hollywood all the time to, uh, to the premiere openings up there. And she was that lady that was standing behind the barricades trying to get autographs from all the stars and starlets. And, and uh, uh, so when Disneyland was opening up, all the celebrities were there. So on July 17, 1955, uh, guess where we were? We were over trying <laughs> to get uh, 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 my mother trying to get autographs from all the celebrities. And I was down around the corner trying to get a sneak preview of the Autopia cars. I really wanted to drive those Autopia cars. And uh, as my mother was getting autographs, uh, Danny Thomas uh, was exiting uh, the park. And he basically said, would you uh, like to have... A asked if she had been in and she said no and that we weren't invited and he said well would you like to go in and she said absolutely yes and he says okay well I have a couple extra tickets and so she gave uh, he gave my mother uh, two tickets and we went in as guests of uh, Danny uh, Thomas on July 17 1955 for the press opening of Disneyland um, and then the next morning my neighbor uh, Doug Harmon and myself went over and we stood in line and bought tickets and it's the only time I can ever remember buying a ticket to go into a Disney park and that was oh, wow. July 18th of 1955 and then on the morning of the 19th I went over early in the morning and uh, met uh, Ray Ahmet and got a hundred newspapers and started selling uh, the Disneyland news to the people standing in line and the deal was if you sold a hundred papers uh, outside the gate they would let you in and you could continue to sell papers uh, uh, for the rest of the day uh, that was sort of a slam dunk for me I didn't have any problems selling a hundred papers out there I used to write up to the Coliseum in, in Los Angeles when we lived in Los Angeles and sell uh, newspapers at the Coliseum for the football games. Uh, oh, wow. So I was pretty pretty used to how to deal and, and handle uh, uh, selling people that were waiting in line. So uh, that clicked right along. Uh, and then uh, somewhere in that process, uh, somebody said that Walt was going to build Tom Sawyer's Island on the island in the middle of the rivers of America. And that you look just like Tom Sawyer, uh, and I, I did. I had fire red hair and, 
and prickles, and uh, I had cut off jeans and suspenders and a gingham shirt and a straw hat is what my costume <laughs> was to, to, to sell newspapers, uh, a typical newsie. Uh, and so uh, Walt was in the park quite frequently uh, in, the, in the early, uh, mid-50s. And so I found Walt, and I introduced myself, and I told him uh, that I had heard he was going to build Tom Sawyer's Island, and I looked just like Tom Sawyer, and he should hire me to be Tom Sawyer. And he didn't. Uh, but he didn't say no. He said he'd think about it. Uh, so that gave me the challenge, and I'm a pretty persistent type guy. And so anytime I could find Walt in the park, uh, I would sort of run him down and ask him if he was still thinking about hiring me to be Tom Sawyer. I remember one of the conversations we had that he, he told me that he could put a mannequin or a dummy one or the other. I can't remember uh, leaving every uh, five minutes to get a, a hot dog and a Coke. Uh, but, <laughs> but he'd still think about it. And so I had uh, uh, met several people in uh, publicity. Uh, and uh, one of my mentors was a gentleman by the name of Eddie Meck. Uh, anytime they had a publicity shot, so Eddie would go, hey, go, go get that red-headed kid, that navvy kid, uh, and we'll use him in this shot. So I was in a lot of publicity shots uh, around the opening of Disneyland and uh, the early years of Disneyland. One of them uh, was with uh, Melton Burrow and uh, Jerry Lewis. Uh, as I was a newspaper boy, and they had pu put uh, one of the things that Joe and Ray did at Castle News was you could have your name put in the headlines of the newspaper. So they had put a uh, welcome uh, Melty and Jerry uh, to Disneyland, and it was Melton Barrow and Jerry Lewis, and I was standing between the two of them uh, with this newspaper that were welcoming to, uh, to Disneyland, and that was July of 1955. So, uh, in, in, in turn, uh, uh, you know, went on. I, I flew model airplanes in the flight circle, and my next-door neighbor uh, worked in uh, Aunt Jemima's, and I, I washed dishes and trays in Aunt Jemima's, and I counted people going in and out of Pendleton. Any place I could find a job, I'd find a job. I, I worked in the circus uh, wardrobe for uh, a few months uh, uh, in the... the uh, a winter of actually it was 50, well, maybe it was 55 uh, or 56, 55. So uh, at the circus, and, and I worked in the wardrobe area, and one of my jobs was to help the Musketeers' mothers get dressed into character costumes uh, for the finale. Uh, uh, so at the end of each of the circus performers, there was a finale. And they would uh, um, march all around the, the 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 three rings of the circus, and all the musketeers and their uh, and their mothers and uh, and chaperones were uh, characters uh, in the in the finale. And I was in in the Penny Arcade uh, one afternoon, and I want to say it's probably May of 1956. A gentleman by the name of Dick Dunas. I don't know if you guys know who Dick is or not. But uh, Dick was the uh, supervisor of Frontierland back at opening, and he sort of uh, tapped me on the shoulder and said, come with me. And we went over to the island, and Walt and a, 
gentleman named by the name Morgan Evans, who is the landscape architect for Disneyland and Walt Disney World, uh, were coming off the island, and Walt said, do you still want to be Tom Sawyer? And I told him, absolutely, Mr. Disney, I do. And he says, well, okay, get a work permit, a social security card, and once you do that, I'll put you to work as Tom Sawyer. Now, you know, Walt was dealing with a lot of kids uh, during that time frame, the Mickey Mouse Club and, and a lot of uh, uh, child actors and that type of thing. And, and Walt was very easy to, uh, to talk to. Um, and uh, uh, he he listened uh, to what you had to say. He didn't cut you off and, and uh, let you uh, finish your thought and, and uh, was very respectful. Going back to that first day, what was the first day at Disneyland like? Oh, it was uh, it was a well for the press opening. It was a disaster. Uh, by the time we got in, everything had broke down. I ran over. I wanted to ride those Autopia cars, and, and <laughs> there weren't any Autopia cars running there. A few of the rides <laughs> in Fantasyland were still going. I, I know we rode the carousel, and uh, my mother was still out hunting autographs. So uh, that's pretty much what we saw the next morning. Uh, when went over with my neighbor, uh, Doug and I, we went over into Tomorrowland and we were able to uh, ride the Utopia uh, cars uh, that morning of the 18th. You said that Walt was very approachable. Were you nervous at all walking up and talking with Walt for the first time? No, I, I wasn't nervous talking to anybody at, at 12. <laughs> uh, you know, it was, it, 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 a guy that we saw on TV that I have a lot of respect for him, yes, but uh, no, I didn't, I'm nervous, and, and, and like I said, the, the, the way that he treated uh, me in the, in the conversation was he, he, he didn't poo-poo me or shoo me away or whatever. He, he listened very intended uh, to what I had to say. Now, you know, sort of going back now, I think I had a little bit of a, an advantage, you know, because Walt was a newspaper boy doing part of his life, and, right. and that wasn't the best part of his life. If I remember uh, reading uh, uh, that he had to get up in the wee hours of the morning to take care of the delivering the newspapers for his dad. But I, I, I think he had a, a little bit of a, um, I, I don't know, respect for the job or respect for a newspaper kid or whatever. So I, I think I had a little bit of an advantage of approaching Walt and talking to him. So once you got the job working as Tom Sawyer on Tom Sawyer Island, what was your favorite part about it and your least favorite part about it? Yeah, the worst favorite part about it was was when we originally opened up. What what the deal was? They had stocked the rivers of America with bluegill, uh, sunfish, and catfish, um, and uh, each of the pier had uh, 25 fishing poles on them. And these are the piers just opposite of the Mark Twain landing. So if you're standing on one of the fishing piers, you're looking across the rivers of America uh, to the Golden Horseshoe. Uh, and the Mark Twain landing. Um, and uh, uh, my job was, was uh, uh, you know, number one, face character. So whoever people wanted me to be, I was either Tom Sawyer or Huckleberry Finn. I didn't care. I didn't respond to Becky Thatcher or, or uh, Indian Joe, but uh, uh, I would be either one of the characters that they wanted. Um, and I think I must have ended up in... Uh, uh, everybody's uh, uh, film uh, photo album uh, in 1956 
at the uh, opening of Tom Sawyer's Island, a number of people that fish. But part of part of it, when we first started the fishing, it was catch and clean. So if people wanted to take their fish home, then part of my job was to clean the fish. That wasn't oh, real wow. wasn't real high on my list. And we had plastic bags that we put the fish in for them, and that only lasted a couple months uh, because dead fish started showing up in places uh, in the middle of summer that you didn't uh. really want dead fish showing up. So we immediately went to a catch and release program and deep all the hooks. <laughs> so uh, uh, you know, part of part of the job was to pose for pictures. Part of the job was to to maintain uh, uh, the the fishing poles and to make sure and the the bait was uh, uh, worms. Uh, to make sure that there was bait out on the dock and the and there were little cups uh, nailed to the railing uh, with worms in them and uh, uh, untangle fishing poles, which was another uh, chore, and build new fishing poles when they got damaged. So, Tom, we've all heard the story about how you had to uh, show Walt your report card to make sure you were maintaining your grades. Why do you think you and Walt had such a close relationship like that? Well, I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I think that was just one of Walt's conditions is is that uh, uh, he he didn't want to in, to impact my my schooling. So in turn, for me to maintain the job, I had to maintain a a, a, a C average or better. Towards the middle, I'm not sure how many report cards Walt saw, uh, but I know Dick Duna saw every one of them. So. Uh, uh, because he he was he was ready for him and was make sure that I had him uh, to him and on time. I'm not a genius and I wasn't a straight A student, uh, but I was a pretty good pretty good student all the way through. What was the reaction at school with your uh, like friends and other kids about? Uh, well, some uh, of it about was, your job and stuff. Yeah, you know, uh, uh, some of it was people were in awe. Okay. Uh, some of it was uh, the the normal razzing that people would have. Uh, when I came out on the cover of, I was on the cover of Parade uh, magazine across the United States, um, and I want to say it was April 17, 1957, uh, which was about a year after uh, I, I had got the job as Tom Sawyer. That's where that luckiest boy in the world came from, from that article. I've uh, got a lot of a lot of razzing on that. Got a lot of people that wanted me to sign uh, their copy of Parade Magazine. So uh, it was it, it was interesting. The uh, the other part of it, it was a job, uh, and uh, I needed I, I needed the job. So everything worked together at that time frame. Like I say, a little bit of razzing, a little bit of of uh, jealousy, a little bit of people in awe uh, that I was working at, at uh, Disneyland and a lot of people wanting to get a job. Do you still have a copy of uh, Parade Magazine with you on the cover? Yes. Is it framed or you just have it uh, in a box? Oh, uh, it, uh, I still have a full full article and then I have a lot of uh, uh, all the uh, newspapers uh, sent in copies to publicity. Uh, and Eddie uh, Mack uh, uh, gave me a whole bunch of them that were all stapled together from all the various newspapers around uh, uh, the country and, and uh, Orange County and L.A. Uh, in specific. So usually the, 
the the cover of uh, of the magazine and then uh, cut up a copy of the uh, uh, internal part of it. Uh, if if you go to my website, uh, which is uh, if if you Google uh, Walt hired me. It'll take you to my website, and I believe there's a copy, a photo of a, a copy of that cover on it. So, speaking of Walt, how do you how do you feel that he influenced you in your life? Just from the challenge, he used to he, he was in the park quite frequently in the fifties. Uh, he'd come in and or stay overnight in his apartment and and uh, uh, be into the park uh, before it was open to the guests uh, and. Uh, um, he would talk to the the construction people and the custodial people, uh, and he'd visit with them. Uh, uh, part of our job was if he got totally inundated with autograph hounds, that would help him uh, to uh, to find a backstage exit, uh, so he could uh, get some relief from that. But he came over. Uh, I, I remember one time, and it uh, had to have been '57 in that time frame, and we walked the island, and uh, he was getting ready to uh, shut it down for uh, for a, a total rehab. And uh, he asked, you know, what what did the island really need? And and um, one of my inputs was a a, a treehouse and an escape tunnel from. Uh, Fort Wilderness, and they ended up getting put in during the rehab. Now, Castle Rock, Merry-Go-Round Rock, uh, Kier-Totter Rock, and all that other stuff that got put in, no, that wasn't my input, but the, the treehouse and the escape tunnel was. So, Tom, was it difficult when you decided to leave Disneyland and en- uh, enlist in the Marines? Was that a difficult decision? Not really, because Uncle Sam had already given me an invite. If I wasn't going into the Marines, I was going into the Army. So I had sort of uh, made a mental note to myself that uh, uh, if I was going to go to Vietnam, I wanted to be the best trained, and I felt the Marine Corps uh, offered that over the Army. Uh, So that's why I went in and enlisted uh, in the Marine Corps. Now... Uh, unbeknownst to me, that was a very good decision uh, because by enlisting in the Marine Corps and I enlisted for a three-year hitch, uh, that it gave me uh, the ability to be qualified for all schooling the same as if somebody had signed up for a four-year hitch and I had no reserve time uh, that I had to perform after I got out of the Marine Corps. And so I joined the Joined the Marine Corps uh, during the height of the Vietnam War, uh, and I'm no more than 82 miles uh, from home, uh, which was uh, uh, unusual during that time frame. I ended up, uh, had orders to Da Nang just before we were to ship out to Da Nang, uh, actually the St. Patrick's Day, I want to say 66, uh, drunk hit me head on and put me in the hospital for five months, and oh, after wow. that, uh, I had lost the kneecap uh, in the in the process and uh, ended up getting mustered out of the Marine Corps on a medical discharge. You did open uh, Disney World as well as Paris. What were those two experiences like? Disney Disney World was uh, after after I had got out of the Marine Corps, uh, came back to to uh, Disneyland, uh, got put back on, uh, and had I was had dreams of grandeur of being an electronical engineer, went back to school on the GI Bill, 
uh, at the Cal State Fullerton and, and uh, clicked along there for a little bit and then sort of realized that I wasn't really going to be a great electronical engineer. Uh, and they started interviewing uh, people to go to uh, Florida. Uh, and so went through that interview process and ended up getting promoted uh, into management. I was going to be the opening supervisor for the monorail system for Walt Disney World. Now, at Disneyland, I'd worked every ride and attraction at Disneyland with the exception of the steam trains and monorail because those were run by Retlaw. Uh, and once I ended up getting promoted and uh, started to train to go to, to Florida, uh, I was able to work the steam trains and monorail uh, uh, because uh, uh, the uh, the folks that ran them uh, and were going to train me. So I, I needed to learn both those attractions. I had never been east of Phoenix, uh, so it's sort of a... Uh, um, uh, uh, we were going to pack up and move across the country. Didn't really have anybody in Florida we knew other than other people that were being relocated there uh, to open Walt Disney World. But we developed a pretty much a camaraderie, uh, folks together uh, about once a month or every six weeks or so. I get together with the uh, the, the other two supervisors that opened up the transportation system. Uh, and uh, we have lunch along with uh, Billy Hosher, uh, who was back at, at Disneyland at opening, and uh, Bill Sullivan, who was also at Disneyland at opening. So Steve Baker, Ted Kellogg, uh, Sully, uh, Hosher, and myself get together for a lunch and sort of reminisce and bring everybody up to speed on on what's going on. Uh, now, Walt Disney World was was a real challenge, and I get down. I was working for Pete Crimmings, uh, who was the ops manager for transportation, and so he was responsible uh, for the uh, the parking lot, uh, golf care, car care center, uh, the stall port. Uh, which was a short takeoff and landing field, uh, the monorail, uh, and watercraft. So all those things came under uh, uh, Pete's umbrella, uh, and he was the the ops manager, and the area manager for that was uh, uh, Jerry Van Dyke. I had the monorail, uh, Steve Baker had the parking lot, and Ted Kellogg uh, had watercraft. We pretty much opened up the park. Paris was a little different story. Uh, uh, nowhere near the involvement in Paris that we uh, that had in Walt Disney World. My biggest involvement was was uh, actually for Epcot. You know, went through the opening of, of World, uh, but in turn, uh, Epcot was a real, real challenge, and uh, uh, enjoyed that uh, immensely. But it was also uh, a, a Minimum 16 to 20 hour days. So, oh wow! <laughs> yeah, uh, I thought I was gonna be a, a, a pavilion coordinator, uh, but my boss at that time frame uh, uh, wanted me to uh, uh, take care of all the warehousing uh, uh, for what we call uh, OFI owner furnished items. So anything that we either bought or were manufactured for show installation. It was required uh, storage prior to 
to being installed on site uh, went into a warehouse in Orlando Central Park uh, or if it was delivered directly uh, to the pavilions I had uh, uh, folks that would meet and greet and sign off and and make sure that the items were in good condition uh, at time of delivery. Since you saw the you saw Disneyland being built and um, you know Disney World, Epcot, and Disneyland Paris, what were the the differences in in the construction of them? Meaning, you know, in your eyes, you know, with the advancements of technology, fascinating each time you saw it being built. You know. Oh yeah. Well, you 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 just go through the operating technology now. Now, Walt Disney World and Disneyland had had pretty much evolved uh, to uh, more telephone technology. Uh, wasn't digital yet, but analog systems. Uh, and then Epcot was almost all analog uh, uh, digital. Uh, systems in the in the uh, the beginning of that process. So the 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 two of them, audio and animatronic figures, uh, changed uh, uh, significantly from Walt Disney World Magic Kingdom to uh, to the Epcot uh, show. Paris was just another step above that. But but technology it just it just amazes me. You know, thank God for it. Sure, kept me has kept me busy in retirement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, if it wasn't for for Facebook and my email and and uh, 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 playing the stock market, <clears throat> I would be bored. <laughs> <laughs> when you saw the window that they made for you for the first time, what was that feeling like? Oh, that was uh, th- that was awesome. Uh, uh, one of the things my my boss at the time, his name was Greg Roos, had sort of asked me what what would I really like to have for a retirement gift, and and uh, I, I told him I'd really like to have a window on on Main Street if he could make that happen. Uh, I I tried to get both parks, but that didn't happen. But uh, <laughs> uh, he in turn made it made it happen at, at World, um, and uh, actually. Uh, didn't see the window uh, until uh, the day of the dedication uh, on on uh, uh, Main Street in 2003, and I want to say it was almost a month after I retired. Do you get a like a commemorative copy of that to hang in your house, like a you know, like a smaller version, or what do you get to take home with you, or do you yeah, get nothing? I- yeah, they have a uh, uh, one that's probably ten uh, percent scale of the uh, of the window that I have at home. Uh, it's it's sort of neat. I get it's, my wife has it hanging on the wall here at the house. What would you say the is the greatest thing about working for the Disney Company? Oh, the people. Absolutely, yeah. a- a- absolutely the people. Uh, you know the, the 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 thing that makes it so. Uh, uh, interesting all along the line is is when you know today you can go get a degree uh, or or go to school for the College of Hospitality, uh, a theme park entertainment, theme park design. Uh, but in you know in in the fifties we were learning every day 
every day was was a new day, a new learning experience, and uh, uh, every time you went through it, it was sort of like you know uh, uh, opening Disneyland. I didn't have the same exposure to that as I had to the opening of Walt Disney World. Opening of Walt Disney World was a a real challenge for all of us, and and especially that uh, people in in Florida. Uh, and on the East Coast, really had no idea what uh, uh, Disney World was going to be. Uh, they thought it was going to be a, a uh, all-year-round uh, fair, uh, and uh, only 13%, if I remember rightly, uh, of the demographics uh, of the attendance to Disneyland came from east of the. Uh, of, of the Mississippi. Now, a lot of people got exposure to Disney attractions at the New York World's Fair uh, in in uh, 60, 65, uh, 64 and 65, because that's a little bit of a test ground to see what the audience was uh, like uh, uh, east of the Mississippi. So you were, you know, you're pretty familiar with Walt, but what would you be able to tell our listeners that they might not know about Walt. Maybe a story or anything. Uh, just you know, uh, the <laughs> the fact that he hired me uh, and would come over and, and visit uh, uh, on the island. You know, I'm I was 12 years old. So so uh, uh, when I was dealing 12 uh, with Walt, 12 and 13, I had just turned 13 when I was hired as Tom Sawyer, and uh, you know. He, he would visit, you know, the last time I remember uh, seeing Walt was in the uh, early 60s in the park. I remember one time he got totally uh, inundated uh, right out in front of the the uh, uh, Golden Horseshoe with autograph hounds and, and uh, helped him backstage uh, uh, behind Oaks Tavern. And at that time, I, you know, I told him, you know, that was Tom Navig, you know, you hired me to be Tom Sawyer. And he says, oh, yeah, I remember that. And, and uh, he thanked very much for, for uh, getting him backstage uh, uh, so he could relax a little bit and catch his breath. You also met your wife at Disneyland, right? Yes. Uh, my wife, uh, in, in 65, uh, uh, we took over uh, at 64, 65. Uh, as as the uh, contracts on the lessees started running out, United Paramount Theaters (UPT) ran all the fast food concession, uh, uh, concessions at Disneyland, and we sort of took over that operation. And we went in; a lot of us went into to training. So I went into food during that time frame, uh, and I was the assistant supervisor of Oaks Tavern, which is right next to the Golden Horseshoe and by the malt shop in Frontierland. And uh, yeah, my wife was the counter lead uh, in there. Uh, met her during that time frame. We didn't really do a whole lot. Uh, after I left and was in the Marine Corps, uh, back in the, the park, uh, visiting and ran into Janice at that time frame and we started uh, dating uh, and uh, we ended up getting married uh, in June of 1950, uh, 1968 June 22nd 1968 and I got mustered out of the Marine Corps in July of 1968 
Well, Tom, before we wrap it up, um, we have something that we do with every guest that comes on our show. Uh, we call it the Tiki Lightning Round. Uh, kind of five quick questions uh, about uh, Walt Disney World or, or Disneyland, whichever you prefer, uh, whichever one you're kind of more familiar with. Uh, when you go to a Disney park, what's your favorite snack? Favorite snack is, is a Mickey Mouse bar. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. That's, that's a favorite of mine as well. Yeah, Disneyland, actually, downtown uh, Disney, uh, like the Benets. Uh, in the, the little French Quarter restaurant there, there that's in the, the downtown uh, Disney portion, uh, just uh, a, a little ways away from the hotel. Usually get up early in the morning, go get the bonnets and take them back to the room. Uh, when we go, we go out to, to Disneyland on every fifth anniversary. Uh, have since we uh, relocated to Florida and got another one coming up in July. So. We'll be out at Disneyland uh, on July 17th, and my goal is always to be on uh, Main Street on on the, around 10 o'clock in the morning on the on the uh, 17th of July to remember the the first day coming into the park. Excellent. Are you talking about Ralph uh, Ralph Brennan's Jazz Kitchen? Is that where you get the beignets? Is it's, that what it's, it's called? I think that's what it's called. The one in downtown Disney near the Grand Californian, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I think that's Ralph Brennan's. I've eaten there. It's a, they have really good beignets, yes. Uh, what's uh, what's your favorite attraction at the Disney Park? Oh, Country Bear Jamboree. Hey. Uh, Country Bear <laughs> I love Jamboree. that one. Yeah, he loves the bears. Uh, yeah, I, I, as long as... And I worked Frontierland twice. As uh, One is the the area supervisor in, in the uh, early 70s, 72 to 73, and then came back as the manager... Uh, and uh, from uh, uh, 76 or 79, and and I, I could sit through Country Bear Jamboree and chuckle every time. Uh, I loved that show. That was uh, that was my mom's favorite, uh, or still is my mom's favorite. She loves that. Uh, what's your who's your favorite character? Eeyore. Eeyore. Yeah. You know, Eeyore would be happy. He feels like he gets no attention. I'm sure he'd be happy that you picked him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your... yeah, I had the opportunity on two training programs to be Eeyore, and, and I loved every minute of it. Wow. That's awesome. And how about your favorite Disney movie? That's, boy. It's uh, a tough one, isn't it? Yeah, I'm, 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 I'd have to go, I have to say the first love bug. Because uh, I, I fell in love with a Volkswagen, and I had to, had to, had to get a Volkswagen after after watching the love bug that's a good choice uh and then and the last question in the lightning round is what's your favorite disney park memory one of the the, the one that really really stands out to me was was when we hosted at walt disney world uh when we hosted the international chamber of commerce uh for a special event uh after park closing uh and uh, during that um, a performance and uh, the Florida Symphony was playing uh, uh, in front of the castle and, and I believe it was Jimmy Carter was president at the time uh, and I was in, uh, in Frontierland uh, uh, as the manager and what we were planning on was to invite Jimmy to the Hall of Presidents to, uh, to see his, uh, uh, his likeness and, and give him a uh, a bronze bus, but that didn't that didn't work out. And what happened is a gigantic rainstorm came in right at the end of the 
opening ceremonies and uh, it was supposed to be on Main Street uh, but what we did is we went and opened up all the shops on Main Street they weren't scheduled to be open and we just moved the uh, the party from out on Main Street into the shops uh, on Main Street but the next <laughs> the next morning uh, and understand that these shops weren't staffed by anybody okay uh, so all these dignitaries from the world and that type of thing were in and having hors d'oeuvres and cocktails and, uh, and uh, uh, in the shops. The, the people that opened the shops the next morning found little notes of, I like this so much, uh, this is my address, uh, please send me a bill <laughs> for this item. Uh, or there was money in the cash register that I took these two items uh, please uh, uh, ring them up. Uh, this is my credit card number, and and uh, it was just uh, uh, people people turned a disastrous evening into a very festivious party on Main Street, and everybody enjoyed themselves. The cocktails will help with that too. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I said cocktails, but I think it was just champagne. Oh, okay. Well, the champagne helps too. <laughs> yeah. Well, Tom, we uh, we really appreciate you coming on and joining us and, and uh, taking time out of your night. Uh, it was a it was a, a real pleasure for us to talk to you. Uh, before we let you go, why don't you let our listeners know, you know where they can find you if you're on social media, your your uh, internet, uh, not internet, your website, things like that. Uh, well, for, uh, uh, first of all, it's uh, you, you can Google uh, Walt hired me, and it'll take you to TomNabby.com. Uh, and I do have a website there. If everything goes right, I'm working with a uh, gentleman by the name of Bob McLean from uh, uh, Theme Park uh, Publishers, and hopefully have a going to have a book out sometime uh, the end of this year. Got my fingers crossed. Uh, you know, uh, if, if not this year, next for sure. So uh, if 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 you missed anything, you can pick up the book and get caught up on the life of Abby. <coughs> Awesome. And if you're in the Magic Kingdom, uh, my window's above uh, the cinema, Magic Kingdom, Walt Disney World. My window's above the cinema on the right-hand side. Well, excellent. Again, we really appreciate you coming on. Uh, we had a great time talking with you, and uh, hopefully we can do it again sometime. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this week. But first, we want to thank our sponsor, Kingdom Strollers. Kingdom Strollers provides premium stroller and Craig Reynolds delivered straight to your door. For more information, visit KingdomStrollers.com or call 407-271-5301. Be sure to let us know what you thought of the show. Comment in the notes over at EnchantedTikiTalk.com. Email us at podcast at EnchantedTikiTalk.com or leave us a message on the Tiki Talk hotline, which is 256-4MY-TIKI. That's 256-469-8454. Like us on Facebook, check out our store at RedBubble.com and follow us on Twitter at TikiTalkPodcast. Lastly, if you enjoy the show, please take the time to rate us on iTunes. And you can follow me on Twitter at One Minute Disney Dream. That's one M I N Disney Dream and MouseWorldVacations.com. And you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Dole Whip Daily. And you can follow me on Twitter and on Instagram. I'm at Norman Bates. That's N O R M N B, the number eight, and the letter S. Thanks for listening this week. For Sean and Keith, I'm Alan, and this has been of Enchanted Tiki Talk. Aloha. You see my friends.
The computer makes life easier Saves me time and headaches too He sorts things out, analyzes in a shake My enormous problem to him's a piece of cake He's got a great big memory like an elephant Utilizes knowledge without end That's why I'm a router for me computer Everybody needs a friend When my work piles up and I'm seeing red Cause I need five arms and an extra head I find the computer becomes me troubleshooter He keeps miles and miles of facts on file My wish is his command Nothing is astuter than a computer when I need a helping hand? Let me explain. They keep on top of accommodations, record and update reservations, coordinate telephone operations, and help plan energy conservation. They're really a great financial device. Payroll service is kept precise. They project attendance, then give advice on personnel, food, and merchandise. They're constantly focusing all their attention on matters of safety and fire prevention. They've given efficiency new dimension with numerous examples too many to mention. <sighs> And that's why I'm a router for me computer. Everybody needs a friend. You see, my friends, the computer does the drudgery. Leaves me free for better things. I push some buttons and in and off a mo. What was a sticky wicket becomes an easy go. He's got a great big memory like an elephant. How he works is hard to comprehend Complicated computations take him just a tick He coordinates and tabulates and does it double quick And that's why I'm a router for me computer Everybody needs a friend No need to stand, no need to stand Thank you! Thank you! Thank you! Thank you! Thank you!